Welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. Here's your host, Brian Lemke. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the Deer Society Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Brian Lemke, joined by Mike and JJ Ducart. Today we got a cool podcast lined up. We're going to be talking about target bucks, and not just target bucks, but what it takes to hunt just really one specific buck. You know, a lot of us as hunters have different strategies, different goals. Um, and a lot of us here, when we set those goals, we'll pass up deer for long periods of time, try to manage these deer. And we might be hunting a deer for, you know, one, two, three, four, five years, you know, to get them to that upper age structure and, you know, then harvest them at, at a certain point. And then, you know, when it comes down to, okay, that's the target buck. What does it take to, you know, focus in and, and only hunt really one deer for that entire season or multiple seasons? So, you know, JJ, I'll kick this over to you to kind of start with. You have hunted lots of deer, so have you, Mike, um, and had just one target buck for, for a year or several years. You guys are managing your, your whitetail from scratch property now, and a lot of times you don't have a ton of target bucks. Uh, talk to me about what that's like and just that, that overall strategy year to year. Well, first, if anybody's watching, I think we should probably talk about this giant rack sitting in front of me. Um, so maybe, maybe Brian can uh, break that down a little bit. But yeah, he's had some great success this year on Target Bucks and this being number two. So maybe you talk about this buck a little bit and then we'll dive into that. Yeah, you're on a roll, man. Look at the, I come walking in the studio and the thing is, whenever you look at a deer from behind when they're walking away, how massive they look. Well, this one here from behind looks huge. The masses, it is pretty cool, man. You're on a hot streak. Yeah, you take it when you can get it. You know, I've had a lot of people say, you know, a dream season and, and you know, you're, you're having quite a year. You know, I obviously I shot a, a big one, my target buck in Minnesota that I had been watching for a few years. And then this one had the opportunity to go down to Iowa during their, their first uh, shotgun season and shoot this one, which ends up uh, being e even bigger than the one I shot in Minnesota, the biggest buck of my life. Um, very fortunate. Um, but, you know, you look at this and, yeah, I'm having a dream season and, and you kind of get a hot streak every once in a while. But, like, there was a stretch I can remember just a few years ago. Um, I didn't shoot a buck, I think, for five years or six years. You know, and it, and it just – it comes down to, you know, being patient, waiting for the right stuff. And sometimes, you know, there's there's obviously a little luck involved around what we do, um, put a lot of time and effort into it. But this deer right here, um, yeah, pretty special one. Um, was hunting with some friends down there, uh, and they also own Big Buck Down Outfitters. Um, but uh, they, they knew this deer pretty well, um, watched them all year. Some other hunters actually had encounters with them and uh, had the opportunity to chase them. And this is a good example of, you know, it was a shorter window for me down there. Um, I didn't have a lot to do with the, the past years of history with this deer, but there were some other good deer on this farm too. And uh, it was like, for me, it was going to be this deer or nothing. So when I went down there, I went down there with that mindset of this is the one. And, and I was okay with, with going home uh, with the tag in my pocket too. So, uh, you know, this deer, super cool buck, um, big inline tine, super massive. Um, shot him on the evening of the uh, the second day of the hunt um, and just came cruising along, um, basically a, a big CRP field. It was a transition area from bedding to destination food. Um, came cruising along a creek bottom and uh, that was, that was kind of all she wrote. But uh, yeah, pretty fortunate. Um, 
definitely a buck for a lifetime. I, I've had a, a dream season, I guess, if you will. And I'm just fortunate for each buck for, for what it is, you know, not combining them because I, I, I want to do them each justice. Um, I appreciate them for, for different reasons and and uh, just lucky to be able to, to be the hunter behind that deer. Pretty big deer. <laughs> Pretty big deer. Yeah, what you say is in the 180s. Uh, yeah, real big buck and six by six. Yeah, we rough scored him at 184. Um, yeah, you know, it's crazy. He looks, you know, all, all the reveal videos and pictures they had of him. Um, yeah, he's actually kind of like a six by seven. Um, you look at him one way and you go, man, that deer could be, you know, 160s, great deer either way. Um, and then you, you look at him and he turns and he shows off all, all of what he's got. And you're like, man, he could be 200. Yeah, that's that, that's what I kind of said. Is it, did I hit 200? Because I saw the pictures afterwards, you know. Yep. Yeah, he was. Uh, we we rough scored him. No, nothing official, but rough scored him at 184. Um, super massive. He does have his beams aren't very long. They're they're kind of a little deceiving. This right beam is, I think, was only 18 and a half inches. Um, but obviously carries his mass. He's got time length. Um, you know, some extras there. So you know, the the 180 mark to hit that kind of twice in one year is, is pretty special. But you know, it's the it's the strategy. It's the chase. It's it's you know, way more than, than just the score for me. I mean, I love shooting big scoring deer and big mature bucks, but, you know, it's everything that goes into it. It's the, the memories of, you know, him coming out and Connor filming him. It was, it was kind of cool because we were watching some deer off to our right and we were in an, an elevated ghillie blind. It was a platform and it was a ghillie blind up on, on that platform. Watching some deer to the right and Connor, who was filming me, just happened to look back down to the left and I was turned all the way around looking at some other deer and he's like, here comes a buck, there he is. And he's coming through this tall CRP. So at some point you could see him, some point you couldn't. And I'm like, Connor, where is he? He's like, he's right there. And I'm looking out the window and he's trying to point. I'm like, I don't see him. Where is he? And, you know, he's calm, cool and collected over there. I was getting pretty razzed up at this point. But um, that deer's coming through. And finally he's like, he's right there. And I looked and just the way that window sat where my chair was in the blind, I couldn't see him. So I kind of had to peek over. And once I peeked over to the left, you know, I saw him clear as day there and, just uh, just all came together after that. Cool story. Well, every buck has has an interesting story. I'm sure that you'll never know. How many people passed this one up? You know, did somebody miss it? You said the neighbors were hunting them pretty hard. There's there's so many things a buck has to go through. Hard winters, disease, you know, EHD down there going on. Oh, yeah. CWD in areas, which everybody can argue how much that really impacts deer, but... Um, yeah, they all got a story. So I'm sure this buck had one, and um, I'm sure there's some hunter out there that wondering was wondering where he went, mm. or uh, wish wish they could put his tag on him. But that's kind of I feel like that's yeah. Every big buck, every target buck. If we're gonna dive into target bucks, every every target buck seems to have that same story where you know you end up shooting him or somebody else shoots him. You're the one passing him. Um, it's just kind of wild how it all works, and it, I think it makes it that much more satisfying when you actually can wrap a tag around these deer because it's like one out of a hundred. I was trying to think yesterday. I was like target bucks, like what? So we're we're probably talking five and a half older. That's kind of that, generally that, what we're that's looking us, for. Yeah. It could be four yeah. year old, could be. Um, so that that changes a little bit, but um, yeah, how many deer die or get shot? out of a big group of bucks in order to get one target buck. Is it 99 out of 100? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It could well, be higher than that. <laughs> I don't know that. I'm saying JJ's a little bit 
on the glass half empty side today because he's on a dry run on this season. I but. don't know. I'm just, I mean, we got, how many four girls do we have going on the season? We had yeah, six to eight in that one spot. Now there's two left. So that's, that's just the four-year-olds. But then how many three-year-olds before that got shot? Well, I, I would say you're accurate. More. You're so accurate like, on the last. The actual surviving yeah. five-year-old? I bet it's one out of a hundred. Well, it, I don't know if it's quite that, but if you look at what we've experienced, I can see where he's coming from because if you look back, I'm just going to go back five years because that that's our number, okay, a five-and-a-half-year-old deer. So if we go back five years, how many target bucks have we been after? You'd have to look for that number, and it's a lot. I mean, I can't. There's no way I can just in the back of my mind think about okay, well, there's this one, that one, and start counting them. You can't. There's there's too many to do that. Okay. Now I'm talking, you know, probably two and a half to three and a half year old is when you really identify if this guy's going to be the real deal or not. You know, so if you got a two and a half year old eight point basket, you're not paying a whole lot of attention to him unless there's something you know crazy about it when he turns three and a half, and that typically doesn't. You know, it, it does happen, but it's not something that you really look at. But those ones that are in the 10-point range, you take a good look at those. And if you go back five and a half years, we have taken three out of how many deer? And it's got to be close to 40, maybe? I know, I'd have to do a count. So, you know, we can throw numbers at that. JJ saying 100 to 1, I think it's because he's on, you know, we've had such a bad streak these last two years. We've probably had, I don't know, six to eight potential shooters, even more than that, actually, if you count the three-and-a-half-year-olds. But it's been a lot over the last three years, and we've taken one. And that's brutal. Yeah, That's really hard. And some of it's winter. Um. Some of it's the neighbor, you know, getting it or the gun season is during the rut in Minnesota. That that really, really hurts us in Minnesota. And then others, they move off. They can't sustain the same property because they're just too aggressive. So you could actually have a higher scoring deer get pushed up because you have a crappier, stronger, more, you know, bully, beefy, you know, buck that doesn't score as well. So there's just so much that goes into it. And there's such an elation when you do get that target buck, when you've watched it for all those years. And then there's, I would say, more disappointment, to be honest with you. There's more disappointment if you decide that I'm a target buck kind of guy and you set a goal of a specific age. You're going to be disappointed way more than you're going to be fulfilled. There's no doubt about that. You know, and is is that the right word, disappointed? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but like you're not going to get them way more times than you get them, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of fulfillment in the chase, in watching them, and, and, you know, getting to that. Let's face it, like we see, I think these days with social media, we see so many people shooting big deer because it's easy to see and people are posting it and it's it's that information is accessible but when you talk about a buck of a lifetime you know something like this like most hunters are never going to see 
let alone shoot a deer like this. And I, and I don't mean to say that arrogantly. It's not arrogant. It's just like I, I look at it. I'm 34 years old. I've been hunting since I was 12. I, and truly, I dreamed of a buck like this. Now, fortunate somehow, I would never would have believed it at the beginning of the year that I was going to shoot two like this this year. But like I've been hunting for a long time and had a lot of good opportunities in good places and, and you know, try to put so much strategy and effort into it. And, you know, still it's not like it's, there's so many, you brought it up earlier. There's so many variables, whether it's disease, whether it's hunters, whether it's, uh, cars, like weather, weather, anything. I mean, there's, there's so many variables that are against you. So I think that's where the, the disappointment, like you talk comes from a little bit, like, I don't know if it's disappointment, but it's, yeah, you're going to have a lot more failures chasing a deer like this than you will successes when it comes to, I think, harvesting him, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think when we're my, I still think one out of a hundred, but I think maybe that, um, you know, if you're just looking at four or five year old, nice buck, maybe it's not one out of a hundred, but like a buck like this, um, we don't see bucks like this. Oh, I bet it's more. Uh, if if you're talking of, like the deer you guys shoot, I see. I, I'm not in that world, so I don't really understand that oh, quite the, yet. But I don't you know, know but six and a half, eight and a half. You know, if you're talking that age, oh gosh, yeah, it's got to be close to a one in a hundred, I would think. Now, a lot of that has to do with, okay, so you see people on social media. And they're like, oh, yeah, these blah, blah, blah. And they get upset because people shoot big deer. And I think a lot of that can be a little bit of the disappointment that we're talking about or the approach that they have is different than our approach. And so it can be a turnoff to to people. And, you know, that's not fair. You know, so if you're one of those people that get upset about something like that, you should, you know, put yourself in the other person's shoes. And the same thing with like people that do have go after these big target bucks and there's people that target bucks way bigger than what i target i can tell you that much and you shouldn't get upset if the neighbor shoots it you know and he's out there if it's brown is down and you know gut shot three of your deer the year before i mean it's that's the game man you know or if you lose deer in in other ways you you can't make it a personal thing against a person i can't preach that enough and i'll tell you what it's so hard not to get frustrated or upset because deer hunting isn't a competition sport, but people get super competitive for some reason. I don't know why, because I don't, I'm not competitive at all. If I see somebody shoot a big deer, I am just so happy for them, but I'm at a different age too. I've gone through the part where I used to get really revved up and upset if somebody screwed me up or shot my deer i wasn't upset at the person i was just upset that god you know he's gone and almost had a had a kind of a you didn't deserve the deer type of attitude and that's way off track man that's way off track you you can't do that you can't be that way um but you know and i don't want to get into a big debate or anything about this and make it you know that kind of a a podcast you know i mean maybe we can start shifting into strategy on on what we do yeah, and I think when it comes down to it, like you look at these big deer on social and there's people that look at the person, right? In reality, it's not about the person or the hunter. It is, I mean, it is a little bit, but it's about the deer. Like that's what it's about. It's about showcasing that deer, their life. Like that's the first thing that I thought when I picked up that deer. I <clears throat> Excuse me. I know when I picked up a Minnesota deer, same thing, every deer. If this deer could talk right now, like imagine what its life was. Like we... 
we obsess over that, thinking about these target bucks and like what they do and how they move and year after year, you know, just all those different things. We obsess over it. They live their life. And if you could just like somehow understand, go back and hold those horns and like warp into this world where you could see all that, how cool would that be? You know, but it's about, it's about the deer and we get so, I think as, as hunters and whatever, like get so caught up in, oh, the hunter did this or did it that way or this way. And I couldn't, it's not about that. Like at that, at this point, look, the deer's dead. Like let's celebrate him for what he is and appreciate it. No matter if it's me, you, whoever it is, you know, that's what, that's what really it's all about. And and I'm going to add something to that. And I don't think a lot of people really understand, you know, where we're coming from. If you look at the inception of actually basically the company illusion that I started and the deer society that we kind of created out of default based off of information we you know wanted to share not one thing has ever been about a specific person or I'm going to say me you know I never made anything about me and that that concept or that element stuck through with every single thing we do if you look at all of our pod, or not podcasts, but all of our videos that we've done and everything else, it's not about JJ shot the big, you know, JJ shoots another big and JJ does this, you know, and Brian shoots. A, it's never, ever been that way. So you see the name of the deer. We name the deer and it's always about the deer. And it's always about trying to help others be successful in the field. That's the core of everything that we've ever done. And I think that's, people like that. That's what made us go viral. I mean, I'm maybe I'm being a little, you know, cocky there saying that we're viral, but, you know, we have a pretty decent following. There's a lot of people that do, you know, watch or have heard or use our stuff and our products. Um, and I think it's really appealing that way. So, if you take that and you can embrace that thought process, exactly what you just got done saying, it's about the deer, it's about the hunt, it's not a competition. And I know it's hard because if you don't get disappointed or if you don't even get a little angry sometimes, then you probably don't really have the passion and don't really care. It's just a matter of how you harness that and how you learn from it and how you it, it builds you as a hunter you know, dealing with those situations. Like JJ said, 100 to 1 if you're going for a big boy. Yeah, and like you said, if you're not, if you don't care and you're not passionate, then you're probably not very successful either, whether it's deer hunting or something else. That's a good Um, point. Because it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of thought and strategy to, to get one of these big boys down. But what are some of the common elements that all really big target bucks have? That's a good question. I got a couple of thoughts to see what you guys think. Yeah, I'm trying to process that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I think all these deer are different. I think, um, again, I think it goes back to a lot of variables um, in different spots. So how much pressure are they, are they getting? Like there's deer that live on big private, you know, pieces of ground that, that really don't get touched and don't get pressured. So I think those deer maybe could act differently than, <laughs> excuse me, a big deer that, uh, and they're still out there in urban areas or high pressured areas. You see big deer get shot in, in both of those scenarios. Um, so I, I could tell you 
what I think the differences are a lot more than what I think the common things are. Um, I think one of the most common things is obviously these deer, they get big for a reason. You hear it, it's cliche, but they know how to survive, whether they're in a high pressured area or low pressured area, whatever it is. I think that they, um, one, they know where safety is, right? They have a, a core area that's that's safe and they have cover and they know how to how to hide and, and not be be present or shown um, at the right times. I do think one thing though, um, and, and this is a tactic that I use a lot, is these deer, when they find those areas or they find um, things that they do year after year, whether it be where the first doe is gonna come in and where they take them to breed them, um, you know, where they will change their pattern to you know, coming out of the summer or moving into the pre-rut or even after that late season. I think these big deer, these mature bucks, they've lived it year after year and they've understood that they're safe. So watching those historical patterns can be a great way to try to figure out what what the, those deer are going to do, especially if you're hunting them year after year. Like I feel like they they figure out how to survive and they stick to those guns. So really, I would say one of the most common things to to watch out for is just like look back if you can figure out what they did for the last two three years it's worked for them they're probably going to do that again i i i gotta agree with a lot of that too and um i would say kind of what you did it's like every deer has its own personality but i think one common thing and this is a general statement is that when deer get older like older deer i'm talking it starts at five and a half, but then as it gets to six and a half, seven and a half, and eight and a half, there's a there's a real consistency that I've kind of seen, and that they just totally get way smarter, and that's kind of what you were saying. But they get super smart. I mean, they've had the experiences. They know what to do. They know what not to do. They picked up on things and, and created a behavior of, you know, like make sure the smaller buck goes out first, hang out on the edge of the timber, don't come out. They get very nocturnal. They can disappear for an entire season. Some deer won't even walk around cameras. They could be on your property and you have no idea. And so the old adage that you can't shoot a 200-inch buck if you don't have a 200-inch buck, that, that there's just that, I mean, that's just common sense. It's just the truth. So then you get back to other philosophy. Well, are you managing deer? Are you letting deer go? How do you know? I know we've hunted places that I would say 90, over 90% of the people that hunt that area have no clue or had no clue there was these huge bucks there because they don't see them. They didn't know they were there. They're not walking around during the daylight. They're not out doing what a two-and-a-half and a, a three-and-a-half-year-old do during the rut. They're not all just chasing deer with their head down. That They don't do that either because different things change. So I could go on for a while here now, so I don't know where you want to cut me off. Just let me know. But if you're looking at, a, uh, and I'm going to say it's a, I'm going to say 200-inch deer, and I don't want to say that because I could go off on a whole other tangent on that because there was a post, and I hate these kinds of posts. It's a clickbait thing. They said, smaller rack deer are just as smart or small deer small scoring deer are just as smart as giant scoring deer or smarter or something like that i don't know but it really ticked me off because 
all they're doing is trying to create this battle amongst each other of hunters. And I, I just hate that stuff. But anyway, the debate started going on about everybody's in, in, in thinking, oh, yeah, a two and a half, three and a half year old deer. No way they're as smart as a five and a half, six year and a half year old deer, you know, because they're not going to go out and do that stuff. So that's where the debate came. But so, but anyway, so scoring deer has not, does really does have nothing to do with it because you've shot a deer, JJ, that was eight and a half years old. One of the toughest hunts and things that he's gone after. And then he shot a, another deer is different behavior. That deer actually disappeared for a whole year before we harvested him. And you shot him off the ground down when we were testing phase out and he scored way more in fact most of your deer scored more than that eight and a half year old but that was probably i'm not going to say it was your prize prize possession but definitely one of his top deer he's ever harvested it had nothing to do with a score so intelligence intelligence of the deer i think drives us it, me i know him for sure but the intelligence of the deer drives you more than anything yeah. you know what i mean now the score of the deer will probably excite you more than anything, you know, but they go through a transition too. I mean, some of them, okay, I'm, I'm just going to start out with, and stop me when you want to go to a certain direction on this mm -hmm. conversation, but let's start out with a, I'm going to go to four and a half year old, years old because when we first started really targeting bucks, we would target four and a half year old bucks because to us, a two and a half year old was so easy to shoot and a three and a half year old, and we shot a lot of them too, um, but a three and a half year old deer became pretty easy. It was kind of consistent every year we were going to get a three and a half year old deer. You know what I mean? But then when they got four and a half years old, they seemed to get a little savvier. But those are the ones that they start that four and a half year old, they have a higher chance of survival rate because they're not doing the stupid blind doe follow. Once they hit four and a half, and this is just things that I've noticed, once they hit four and a half, they start to lock on does and they start to kind of understand what's going on around them. Even though the rut is kind of driving them crazy, they'll still stay nocturnal. They'll still lay back. They're not going to just go out and run randomly wild all day during the daylight hours. They're still, they, they start getting smarter, okay? Now, they're very killable because I think they're very patternable at four and a half years old, you know, because they go back. And that goes back to what you're saying. They learn where they're safe. They learn where they'll, well, that four and a half years is when they start to think that way. Hey, this is safe. I'm going to check this. And you start to see a real consistent behavior. And so with today's technology, you can start to track that, you know, that this year's doing this on this wind, on that wind, on that one, on that one. And you can really get after them four and a half year olds and, and be very successful. Okay. And then you go to five and a half years old, five and a half years old, they get even smarter. Now they're not coming out until right before the daylight. And that's if they're super comfortable. Remember, now they've learned these areas where they feel they're comfortable. If they're super comfortable, they'll start to come out on the edge of the daylight. They're not going to run during the middle of the day consistently at all. Now, if they're on an actual hot dough that's dripping, you know, that's, that, that, that goes out the window a little bit. But that's not very long. You know what I mean? And that's just the one little time slot during that particular day, too. So their behavior changes 
to more being with the doe. And they become, in most places, a five-and-a-half-year-old deer becomes more of the dominant buck. And so the does tend to be selecting them a little bit more than a younger buck where they got to go chase and just try and get some. So the dynamics of their situation is changing, okay? Now the does are receptive to them. And they're not going to go chase the, the, the um, you know, first doe estrus doe that it's like it's her first year you know she i don't know if they come in at two and a half i'm not a, a scientist on that or one and a half years old when they're breedable um maybe you guys can chime in on that but they're not going to chase them does at all they're going for the seasoned doe because they're more of the dominant buck on the property and most likely that seasoned doe knows it and she's probably going to go to him so he doesn't have to chase near as much now you get to six and a half years old even more dominant. Now they're driving off the four and a half year olds that think they're tough and they kind of carve out their territory. So not, now they don't have to go look for that safety territory because they own it. Okay. So that's another thing that's going, now how long do I want to go on here? And when do you want to jump in on a different topic of this? Whenever you want. Okay. So six and a half, that's, we've noticed that. That's usually about it. You're not going to, it's rare, rare that you're going to run into seven and a half and eight and a half year old deer and nine and a half year old deer. I've only seen once in my life, in my entire life. So that we've documented. And I was blown away at that. That deer looked like he was a Brahma bull. It was amazing the size of that deer. All right. So where are we at? We're at seven and a half or six and a half. Yeah, you just kind of came out of six and a half. Okay, came out of six. Now we're going to seven and a half. So now seven and a half, they change everything. Now they probably shouldn't be alive. And all the deer there, the genetic superior being, they lay their scent out. You can smell those deer coming to you. I mean, they stink so bad. They take over a property and they are just a beast. Now that deer physically size-wise it doesn't matter what his rack is is probably going to kick the crap out of any deer that comes anywhere near his territory so if he's carved out that area that he knows is safe and he's been doing it for years and years and years and now he's basically uh you know upper middle age deer actually he's an old deer almost a grandpa that's not going to take any crap from anybody an old war salty war veteran he actually exposes himself more like a an elk bull elk you know we watched it and that's where we learned that language you learn that language with rod white down in in uh um we didn't even know deer did this but they go out there and they do that big growly long breeding grunt that just goes almost like an elk bugling and it goes on for at least 13 seconds it's just the most crazy thing if you heard it out there you'd think it'd be bigfoot you know, never heard of it. Didn't even know it existed. And Ross, no, 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 yeah, yeah. And then JJ captures it on film. And it was crazy. What do we call that? The croaker. The croaker. So we call that croaker, croaking. We name, you know, they kind of name that. And um, so now you're at that age where they'll get out there and they'll just, at, at, and it's usually always in our area, it's that first frost, typically the first week in October, but that first frost, hard freeze frost, they start to come out and say, all right, because you don't even know if they're still alive at that point, because you don't see them. You don't even see them during the summer. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, they just come out and they show up and they just, 
here I am. You know what I mean? And the dolls are like, oh, there he is. You know what I mean? And so he don't have to go chasing around for nothing. He's the guy. Now the little guys are running around, three and a half, two and a half stuff. He usually don't, won't pay attention to them, but sometimes if they see that it is a breeding buck that is a bit of a challenge, they will go and, and start to stake out that territory and push them off. You know, and those bucks don't even challenge them. They just, just go away. So that's seven and a half and eight and a half. And then <clears throat> if they can even get to eight and a half or nine and a half, they just own it. They own it all and they're, they become actually easier to kill as they get at that upper, upper, upper age. And I don't want to say easier because they're super, super smart, but I think you can pattern them because they feel so confident and they take over that area, they will develop a pattern that's very patternable. But you better not screw up because if you bump them one time and they figure out you are there, it's probably done for the whole season. Yeah. So it's very, very, you know. Anyway, um, that's enough rant for me. That was a good summary. <laughs> and just for everybody listening, so that's kind of what we see here. It doesn't mean that that's exactly what happens everywhere because there's different number of hunters um, deer travel different in kansas you know you terrain. look down in mississippi and we don't know that we don't hunt that and same thing in texas but it would be interesting to know and hear more about that yeah but go ahead jj sorry yeah i'm gonna jump back yeah you've shot what you've shot more big bucks I would say of those upper echelon bucks and anybody sitting stable, what for sure? What do you? I mean, what do you see common traits of some of these upper echelon deer? Well, that's while well, he was, I kind the, the whole summary. Yeah. I was thinking about something there. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's two routes to get a, to a big upper age class buck, and it's like the big sanctuary, the big safe zone. Nobody can hunt them. Whether like around here, we see that a lot with quarries or landfills or. There are these areas that people can't go or hunt. Or a doctor, areas. yeah, yeah, residential. Um, that that's true. I never. That's that's one hundred percent on some thick stuff toward you know city limits or just something like that where they behind some um, a business site or it's just this overlooked spot that nobody can really hunt. Uh, everybody's kind of on the outside looking in. I feel like that's what grows really big deer around here. And then there's also the um, the concept of just management where people are working together, they're passing the deer to get there because everybody has opportunities to shoot these deer. So, oh, do you shoot this one? You want to pass this one? You're talking to your neighbor. Don't pass, you know, don't shoot the one with the kicker or whatever it may be. But I feel like those two, are they're like different lanes. So the, the one where there's this big sanctuary or safe zone where this buck can grow old, um, there's maybe one giant buck that does that. Whereas the, the highly managed stuff, I feel like there's a lot more deer in general. You see a lot more three-year-olds, four-year-olds, but I feel like you don't quite see that seven, eight-year-old because so many people are hunting and, and passing that when the deer gets to four and five, it's like pretty high chance that they get shot. So there's kind of like two routes to get there. I feel like the, the, the better route to get a really old buck is that um, kind of overlooked or, or spot that nobody can hunt because uh. I feel like the highly managed where everybody's working together. Um, more more pressured more, more areas four, grow more bigger bucks, maybe. Shot, I feel it, like. Are you saying more more pressured areas create that, that smarter, bigger buck that finds that sanctuary? Because I think you're kind of on a track here that's 
clicked in my head now because the deer that we're managing and they have their sanctuaries in our area, they become so comfortable there. They have no danger there for the most part at all. And so they just, it's like, oh yeah, I can just live here safe. It's, it's, it's different behavior than if you get a buck that's being chased his whole life and pressured and finds a sanctuary. That's a little bit different. That That's a heck of a point that I hadn't really... Also wonder too if there's like one giant buck, if there's better chance of him making it. Seems like they can kind of hide and the does kind of come to them. They find that little soft spot, safe zone. Um, feel like there's just these giants that show up where there's not a bunch of three and four year olds running around. There's just like a big one. I don't know. That's just what kind of we see. I see around here, or yeah. my mind kind of tells me, but maybe it's different. You know, different. I, I want to know why he never shared that with me ever. <laughs> he's got to keep some. <laughs> That's some why he's shooting all the big ones. <laughs> I, well, I think to your point, I think, you know, with people that are managing deer, I think we've become more efficient as hunters, better hunters, understand things more. We have more tools available, whether it's weapon-wise, intel-wise, you know, reveal cameras, uh, micro food plot systems, um, you know, all of these things, I think, and you're right, like I, perfect example. The deer I shot in Minnesota this year, he was five and a half. Um, and it was like, and we had passed him. We had that plan. Like, okay, everybody passed him at three and he, he wasn't anything spectacular three. Four, he blew up. He, was, he looked huge. We made a decision. We're all going to pass him. Gets to five now. Five now, he's a mega giant. And it's like, okay, we're going to kill him, right? Everybody wants to kill him. Everybody. And everybody yeah. wants to kill him. And, you know, we're using these tools. We're getting the intel. We have our, our food blood systems out. Like, so went in there and killed him. Now, his chances, I think, were not great of making it through this year because everybody had their sights set on him. We knew he was five and a half this year. Like, okay, this is the year. That deer's chances of making it to that six, seven, eight-year range, not very good with all the tools and all the intel and everything we have. So I, I, I think that you're exactly right on these these. And that, that's kind of the point of this whole podcast is what does it take to get a deer of that, like, in, and at what point do you take them? So, like, there's a lot of patience to get a deer from three to four to five. If you're watching that deer, man, it takes, I don't know that I have it, but there's people out there that will, will pass that deer, a 180-inch deer, to get him to hopefully 200 if he doesn't die, if he doesn't get injured and throw weird like the the ability and I, I think that's such a huge part of this whole conversation is what does it take to like get on a deer and strategize killing a deer like that but what does it take mentally as a hunter to be able to say okay I'm not going to shoot him at four and a half or I'm not going to shoot him at five and a half or you know if that's your target buck when he gets there say okay I'm not going to shoot this other five and a half year old because this is my target I think that mental game as hunters is is kind of brutal. It's exciting, but it's not an easy thing to do when you have just one target buck. It's it's super frustrating too if you go through all the mirrors. So look at what you're saying, okay? So you've tracked that deer for three and a half years when he's five and a half. Because at two and a half he starts to gain your attention. You know, you know oh that's that's, that's yeah. you know, that thing's not not a bad deer. He could turn out to be something to see where he goes. So now you start to pay attention. What's he doing at three and a half? What's he doing at four and a half? You got this intel and you know, 
and you understand this, Jerry, and he's got this behavior, and he hasn't been pressured because you're leaving him alone. Even if he did encounter you at a younger age and he didn't process it as danger because he's never been in danger, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be a little bit more efficient to kill that deer too. Now, you really, it, it, you, something sparked into my head when you were talking about all that. If you're looking at this management systems, okay, like we're talking about right now, and we do a lot of that now, but we've done both. We, so people know we've only been managing a property to shoot deer for what? This is our fifth year or sixth year? That's it. The 20 years before that has all been high pressured. Hey, do you mind if I hunt and, you know, and I coach your kid in hockey and yeah, come on out, Mike, we know who you are. And that's how we hunted our deer that, you know, it's not quite public land, but it darn sure is close to public land because everybody and their brother and their uncle and we're hunting around people. So that's how we learned how to shoot, you know, deer. And then JJ, you know, anyway, so there's the, the two types. So if we go back to the manage piece, um, it's about how much asset do you have access to in Minnesota? You look at down in Iowa and we've watched some of these big, huge farms down there. And we know the ones we're talking about with, you know, some, some people that you would know too, but they're big, huge farms. And they started managing these big tracks of thousands of acres. Okay. If I had thousands of acres, I feel I could grow a 200 inch buck. And I guarantee you at my age now, I would absolutely be passing up five and a half and six and a half year old deer if I knew they had the potential to score higher. I'm going to take out, and we do that now, I'm going to take out a crappy four and a half that's injured or whatever that I know is going nowhere or five and a half. You know, I will take those deer out without a question and want to actually get them off the property. There's, I'll just take them out. It's not a big deal. I enjoy, you know, hunting deer and I enjoy, you know, taking deer. But if I had that big property where I didn't have to worry about the neighbor shooting it and I could hold two or three or even four giant six and a half to eight and a half year old deer and they could coexist, that's a different world now again. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think people are don't really think of it that way, but they're understanding once they get a piece of property, you're like, oh, if I just add on a little more, if I get a little bit bigger and oh, and then this neighbor can't get that. And then, you know, and I think that starts to go to that default. So I guess asset hunting asset is huge on you know understanding and and i'm gonna have to just say that it's gonna contribute to the success of taking huge large deer because you're gonna be able to target have more target bucks on one property we're with 240 acre or no what do we got here 200 acres Mm -hmm. here you know they're roaming other properties, but there's we're hanging at about usually two to three a year of target bucks, and they're not all staying on the one property because they they can't yeah. coexist so much unless they're in the same bachelor group. They'll establish territories and and not try and push the other one way off. So taking that and then circling back, JJ, I want to kind of circle back with you here. Um, you know, other common things or strategies that you've seen in these you know, target bucks that you've chased, like what, what are, what are the things that you've seen time and time again that, you know, they all kind of have in common or they've done? Yeah. I think it's really what they've done is, is always different every 
every buck I've shot, every buck I'm sure you've shot, you shoot them at different times of the year, right? So like when you were down in Iowa hunting this buck, you know, I remember I texted you, are you in the A spot? Like, are you in the spot to kill it? Like, that's important too for targeting big bucks. It's like, you know, we're hunting, we've been hunting deer this year where we're like not in the A spot. We're probably in like what, the D spot, F spot, you know? Z. <laughs> we're in Z. I don't know if we even got a shot sometimes, but, um, you know, that that makes a big difference on success too. Like, can you, are you going to be where that deer is killable? I don't know exactly what your situation was with this buck, but you said you were in the A spot. And I was like, well, Brian's got a pretty dang good shot. So yeah, I've had, you know, I, I think like I'll go through some bucks Beamer. I think I was in the A spot. Like he showed up during pre-rut. I was, that was my buck to either shoot or, I mean, that was my buck to lose essentially, right? Um, Curly, I don't know if we were not in the A spot with no, Curly, but it came late season. Not. So that's a totally different factor. Like maybe you got food that, pulls these deer in from all these sanctuaries or safe spot. You know, that's a tactic that you could implement on a really big deer. I think we've always talked about early season, late season being the best time to shoot monster bucks. Well, then you shoot your two big hey, bucks. Hey, <laughs> I'll just add, to, I just want to say to Curly, because Curly is not a managed deer. He wasn't on a managed property. Curly, we, we identified zone. a weakness that he had, and that was a... Uh, and then you took the other elements. Maybe you want to walk through. You know what I'm saying there? You knew that was his weak spot because we documented it. That's his only weak spot that we knew of. The year before, that guy didn't even show up. The entire, we thought he was dead. And he showed up twice that year. But we knew where his weak spot was. And the weather had a big impact on that, like J.J. was saying about the food. Why don't you tell it? You killed the deer. You're the one. Well, that, where I was I at before that? Well, we were talking about deer that, you know. Oh, just the seasonality yeah, of it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I feel like late season you can really pull on some big mature bucks too. And, and that buck would just, you know, he showed up. That was kind of the, the start of cell cams. Um, got a couple of cell camera pictures, some sightings, and then just went in to a nice pinch point fence gap and took advantage of it on a warm front after a cold front. And we're talking um, about 30 below wind chill to like, 20 something or maybe even a little bit warmer than that and we knew that because deer they hunker down and we knew that he would need to go to the food and we knew about this pinch point and that was the only time he would you know this was just our chance during a daylight and it's right at the very end or right at the edge of daylight that he would go through this one gap in this one spot and it was just that one window, and that was his weak spot that was identified, and it happened. It, it you know, the odds were who knows. Yeah, there's always some luck. That's for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And then capitalizing on the luck. You know, go ahead. I don't. I forget what I was. I was kind of going on the food thing, the early season, late season, pulling bucks in because you can pull them in off those big safe zone sanctuaries too if you got the right food. Um, and now it would have been curly, so we were there, and then now you can move back to what you were going to say. Yeah, and then, well, then there's always the, like, Beamer. I had a chance to shoot him when he was five. If I would have done that, well, then that story's over, right? So it's like, you look at, there's always that question, too, like, when should you shoot? When should you not shoot? What's the end goal? Yeah. Neighbor neighbor missed him. There's There's so many things. Like, for a buck to get this big, they just, they got through the gauntlet. There's no question about it, whether they were in a huge sanctuary or not. 
they uh, they slip through the cracks somewhere. Here's what I'm gonna I'm gonna say, and I'll use this year as an example. But like common strategy on this deer, the one I shot in Minnesota, hundred percent. I won't say hundred percent, but I'll, so much of that is based on intel, and then strategizing based on that intel. So like in Minnesota, we run a lot of reveal cameras. That deer was kind of all over the place. Um, and, you know, I understood what he did the, the two years before that. But, you know, during that late October time, mid-October time, he started moving back into that core range. And I knew that because of cameras. Now, I wasn't getting pictures of him every day. And I never had a picture of him where I ended up killing him. But I had intel around there that made me understand that, look, this deer is becoming killable. He's starting to move during the daylight and he's in this area. And I was picking the right window, going with a gut, kind of getting in there where I knew I had the wind and some different things, but it was Intel based. This deer, what I can tell you is that this was a big farm that I was hunting on. This deer was going to a week before this, this deer was going to a standing bean field and he was doing it pretty regular. And like, those guys had, had put the work in. They were running a bunch of cameras. They were getting pictures of them daily. Had a blind set up. Like, this was where I was going to kill this deer or maybe have an opportunity at him. Three days before I got down there, this deer completely transitioned to the south side of the farm. So, like, you talk about that A spot. That A spot changed in a hurry. He moved to the south end of the farm. It was mild weather. I don't think there, you know, that that rut was tailing off. You know, there was a lot of pictures of midday, and I think there there was, you know, a doe in there. I think he was probably with a doe or a hot doe, whatever it was. And he was going to that food. Weather was cold. Weather turned mild. He shrunk back down to the south side of the farm. There was way more cover down there. If we would have continued hunting that deer on the food, I I would almost bet that we would have never seen him. He might have been there at night in the dark. We transitioned to that south side where he was traveling in this corridor where he had cover and, you know, killed him on the second night, half an hour before dark or 45 minutes before dark. But it was, the, it was understanding that intel. I feel like with these big bucks, and this, this is the key, and I, and I feel like I say it every year because it's just how I hunt. I'm not saying don't go out there and just hunt, but like I scout way more than I hunt. Oh. I feel like with these big deer, it's so crucial. I know Adam Hayes used to say it back in the day, like you have, when you go in there, like when I go in after a target buck, I legitimately think that I have a chance to kill him if I'm going to dive in there and hunt because you only have limited chances. And if you mess up on a deer like these, like you are not going to see him. And I'm not saying you won't see him for the rest of the year, but you are going to change what he's doing for might be a day, might be five days, might be five weeks. So use your intel. You have these tools now. And I don't care. You can do all this work in the, in, in the off season. And, and I recommend doing that. But when it comes down to it in the season, it's like use that intel. Scout. And when you go in there, you got to be so surgical about it and, and know that the odds are just tipped in your favor, even if it's a little bit. You know, so like deer in Minnesota, I shot, I think, on the third sit maybe um this deer is shot on obviously the second sit but it's it's like picking those windows scouting more than you hunt paying attention to that intel and when you go in there make sure that that game plan is as sound as it can be and and i think that's a key you can't just with these big older bucks like you can't just go and hunt them and hunt them and hunt them and hunt them because they're smarter than that 
Smart. You got something before I go off? Unless you're bulletproof. Um, oh, I didn't. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> well, part of that too is like being able to hunt when that window is open or when that opportunity presents itself. But if if you're busy or if like I'm just thinking about this book I'm trying to hunt in Wisconsin. Weather, I wish wind, I wind tonight. direction. Like I feel like tonight's the night. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> so it's hard to get, hard to have time sometimes. And everybody's busy. People got to work, you know, they can all have weekends. So like, that's a big factor on if you can get the job done too. But um, yeah, all the intel from the past, we always had intel on all the big bucks yeah. we chased for multiple years. I don't think, I think I was texting someone a couple weeks ago, like, I don't think I've ever seen a giant deer or shot a giant deer that I didn't know about. Absolutely. Somebody was talking, neighbor knew about him. Yeah. Talk, it doesn't mean we have years in history or pictures but no, like but you know we, about it we know yeah i don't know if you've ever seen i've never seen like a, oh there's a 200 inch or here oh he just showed up and now i'm gonna go on like i've never had that happen but um, you know that at me growing up that's all we had you know no such thing as a cell camera right yeah, i mean i'm yeah. dating myself and so we would read these magazine articles about this big 200 inch buck that uh some guy shot you know and you couldn't sleep at night and you would sit in that stand all day fantasizing about this giant deer showing up out of nowhere that's just the way it was it was always that way and there's still people that think that way and hunt that way and we're not saying there's anything wrong with that but you know from a experience perspective that's not reasonable right and so i'm going to get more detailed so now you said a lot about you know my brain started racing again which is not good but what I'm what I'm hearing from all of us here is you have to have the sanctuary of some sort. Have you ever gone into your property when you knew that this big target buck was there and walked in and looked where his rub lines are? Oh, his rub lines are there. Oh, this is probably where he's betting. Have you ever, ever done that? No. Never. And why is that? It's because if you do that, and he don't even have to see you, all he has to do is know that dude was there because I walked in and put a camera on his bedding. Dumbest thing you can do. Well, I, I shouldn't say dumbest thing. I just say unless you're going to go kill him right then. Because well, I, I was going to I was going to get to that. I was going to get to that. So, so the worst thing you can do is to give up that sanctuary area. Okay. So now we're being extremely disciplined, okay? We're allowing that deer to be on the place where we hunt. And if that's the, that's the first core thing, if you can't do that, then this strategy won't work for you because you're either hunting a transition zone or you're just not allowing or you don't have the, um, the asset for a big deer to be there. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, just understand what you got working for you. Understand what your assets are. Understand what you can do to get that big deer. And that's one of the most important things is you got to be able to let that deer be there at some level or make him feel comfortable transitioning through there and it's the same thing. Even if he's not living there, if you don't allow him to transition through there without him knowing there's people there hunting him, you're not going to see him. He's not going to be on your property. And if he is, you're going to get one night picture. You're going to go berserk about it. And he never shows again. And you're going to be frustrated. Well, that's because of what you did. Okay. And that's, I'm not saying that's bad. Okay. We probably don't do enough of it. And I think our deer are getting too relaxed 
And I think there's too many does there. I think we need to kill more deer. We need to get them a little bit sharper. You know what I mean? And make them think that. Spook them a bunch. Well, not so much. But you know what I mean? At earlier ages is what I'm getting at. Not when they're already six and a half, seven and a half years old. You know? But at the earlier ages, get them a little smarter by letting them know there's something more there. Anyway, so, so you got that sanctuary piece. And you got the next piece window of opportunity how are you understanding your windows of opportunity you made the point that you know you can yeah you can't go hunt that deer day after day after day in that same stand i'm telling you people they will figure you out you got to make sure you have the right win you got to make sure that your scent control is so spot on and i mean i'm talking hard hard core stuff Oh, it's no big deal. You know, if you got a dog, nothing against dogs. If you got a dog, you can't have your dog running around in your truck and hair and, and smells going on in your clothes without the deer understanding that there's something else there besides a deer. You got to be, you know, put it in tubs, let it sit outside. If you, you can't go get gas, you can't go to McDonald's with your hunting clothes on. You can't do stuff like that. You got to make sure you clean them boots off. You got to make sure you're doing this. You got to make sure you go into that stand quietly if you can. And guys like me that can't hear, that's hard, by the way. And you got to, there's just all these things you have to do. Your gear has to be clean. You have to be super clean. And you can't go in there. I, you got to understand where that deer is coming from, this big, big deer. So uh, I, I'd say one thing, and, and JJ's identified it numerous times after he shot his big deer. He knew where that deer was, a high chance of where that deer was that particular day that he went, that he picked to hunt it. Okay, I do it too. I kind of know where that deer is because I saw night intel. Got a good idea where he's going to be based off of older, um, you know, intel and getting intel of his behavior and then seeing the intel in real and seeing that hunting window. I got the right wind. I got the moon. I got the barometer. All those things go into play, and that's why when you say you don't hunt, I don't hunt that much, but I'm hunting all the time. You know, I'm making sure there's water out there when I get a chance. I'm making sure things are That's part of hunting, making sure that the stands are right, making doing little tweaks, studying that deer, finding that window. When that all lines up, boom, I'm out there, but I can't bump that deer. I can't spook that deer. I might not be able to hunt him in the morning in certain spots because I know I'm going to bump him. That would be the worst thing you could do. So now you know he's been showing up in the morning, but you can't hunt him that morning because you'll kick him out of there. It's just all these little tiny details that we're talking about. Then you got to understand what is their window of killability, like we talked about with Curly. That deer that, that we saw him in real life one time, he disappeared an entire year, came back, got camera intel maybe two or three times. We were elated that he showed back up. We thought he was dead. In fact, we saw, saw a deer that a guy killed that looked very similar to him. We thought, oh, there's him. He's done. And then he shows up on camera like, oh, my God. There's, and we knew that was his weak spot. And then the window lined up, but the weather was perfect, but the wind was just on the edge. Now, if you're as anal as we are about your scent control and you're as good as we are with our scent control, and I'm not trying to be arrogant about it, but we are, I mean, we get deer downwind of us. Not by, you know, planning, but it happens. We get away with it. 
So, and Curdy was a great example of that. So he killed that deer. So sanctuary, behavior, don't bump that deer. Understand his behavior, you know, um, his weaknesses. Try and identify weaknesses. And it's going to change, like you said, from, from different – it'll be food. It'll be doughs. It's going to be late season survival. You need to understand all these things. And to be honest with you, we're sharing that information on, on our platform. We really are. You know, I mean, now my brain is getting a little bit too busy, so I'm going to back out of here. I know there's a lot more than that, but go ahead if you know more detailed tips. Well, I think every buck's different too. Um, and then one thing, you know, Brian said – you know, don't overhunt or just, you know, first time, obviously first time in is always the best, but sometimes there are some deer where if you get some bulletproof access, can get in and out. Um, when you're not diving into bedding or, you know, you're, you're smart about it, you can hunt that deer more often and um, kind of grind it out a little bit more. But every, every situation is different. Like every property is different. Access is different. Behavior is different. Where the bucks or bedding is different. Um, so you kind of got to just use the information you got and use your mind. Um, obviously schedules are different. You can't always hunt during the best barometric pressures and cold fronts if you got a busy work schedule. Um, so just kind of got to roll with it and, and do your best, but each buck's different. And that's what I love about target bucks is there are, are all different. Like I don't even look at it like, you know, this buck scored this and this buck scored that. And that one's the, like, I don't know. They're all just so unique and different. Like the buck I'm hunting right now, um, limping around, you know, two bad legs. Like that's a completely different hunt. Like I, I like that. Like I actually kind of enjoy watching that and trying to figure it out. He moves slow. Um, you know, you see him walk, it takes him 20 minutes to go from, you know, spot A to spot B. So how do you hunt that deer? Um, something a little bit different. So it's every target buck's different. They all survive their own way in their own um, safe spot. You know, they all figured out their own way. So I think that the big game, the big prize is trying to figure out what that is and capitalizing on that. Yeah, now you gave that deer the win, the first window you had to go shoot him, which he goes, oh, should I do it? Should I go? I go, you know what? Go for it. It's late season. This guy's all beat up. It's like, not like he's a 200-inch deer. Go for it. You're there. It's your opportunity. So, and you know, and I said, stay away. Don't do it. You know, I'm being super cautious. But when that time is right, you can go. If you've got to go right in next to their bedding, do it. But understand, this is your window. You're going for it. Do everything you can not to blow him out of there. But that's a great way to kill that deer too, you know. But or spook him, or spook him. <laughs> it's you know, it's it's exactly you know. Well, I, I like your odds, and we're going to wrap this up here because I know I know some meetings got going on. I I want to maybe continue this podcast at some point too, and and do maybe a, a continuation because I think there's a lot of different aspects we can talk about. I like your chances on that Wisconsin buck. I, if it were me, like I, I'm excited just hearing you talk about it. Like, you know, we're in that late season time now where we don't have super cold weather though. That would help. But like that deer, he's a little injured. You know, he's he's going to these food sources, going to prime time. He's going to beans. Like he might do it tonight, but it's not like he's going to go and do something completely different. He's moved in there now. He feels comfortable. He'll probably keep doing that here for the next. So like, you're going to have this window again. I'd be really happy if he showed up on camera on the prime time tonight. Like, God, that that is a uh, validation in my mind that like, okay, he's doing that. Where's that next window that I can now jump in there? So I like your chances there. But I, I think, you know, we've talked about a lot of things. Intel's a great one. Patience, I think, mentally, physically, 
as much patience as you can have when you're hunting a target deer, wait for them to, to do the right thing. The killability thing is that's what's crucial. And it, it, there's lots of big deer out there. Killing them is not easy. And the hardest part about it is being patient. It's a chess match. There's so many variables, but if you can be patient and then have a little luck, that's where, you know, maybe end up having dream season. And you never know, a 220 might walk in that you didn't know existed. Never know. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. Download the free Deer Society app. Tons of instructionals, information, hunt breakdowns out there. Uh, still a few more hunt breakdowns coming. So uh, good luck if you still got a tag out there. Thanks for tuning in. And hopefully we're going to continue maybe part two of this podcast coming up here uh, in the coming weeks. So thanks for listening. Good luck. All our sponsors here at Deer Society are partners whose equipment we know we can trust are going to make you more successful and have a better experience in the field. Products like Illusion Systems, maker of the Black Rack, the Extinguisher, and the Phase Body Odor System. Tacticam, Reveal Cell Cameras, 10-Point Crossbows, Onyx Maps, Osseo Gear, Huyman and Big Frig.